Amen. So, uh, Psalm 97, starting in verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coasts and islands be glad. Clouds and total darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All who served carved images and those who boast in idols will be put to shame. All the gods must worship him. Zion hears and is glad. Judah's villages rejoice because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over the whole earth. You are exalted above all the gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He protects the lives of his faithful ones. He rescues them from the power of the wicked. Light dawns for the righteous, gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. So one of the things that we see in Psalm 97, there's a continuation of a theme that we've seen in 95, 96, and 97, and that is the idea of God's kingship over the entire earth. So as we're reading these three, we not only have the inspired author, but we have the inspired compiler who's putting them together so that these themes are interconnected. So we see in Psalm 95 verse 3, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Psalm 96 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And then Psalm 97 1, the Lord reigns. There's a thread that's moving through here. And this psalm, like the others, connects the idea of joy and gladness and rejoicing in our recognition that God is king. And so in Psalm 95, what we see is that there is rejoicing that God is king, but then we are called to worship and not to harden our hearts to his voice. He is a good king, worthy of our worship, and we have the tendency to harden our hearts, but we are to keep them soft towards the king. In Psalm 96, God is the king over the whole earth. Let us rejoice and let everyone know that they can find joy and hope in God Almighty. And in Psalm 97, God is king and we should rejoice. But what's the connection in Psalm 97? Well, as I begin studying this psalm, I have to say the second verse, the first time I read it, threw me a little bit for a loop. And here's why. Psalm 97 too. Clouds and total darkness surround him. Now, maybe it's because Pastor Dave has just preached through 1 John, and we know 1 John 1 5 tells us what? It tells us that this is the message we've heard from and declared to you God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. So, is there a contradiction? I don't think so, because if we continue on in verse 2, it says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And so we have to understand that the Bible will use metaphors in different ways. So in 1 John, the metaphor is that between sin and unrighteousness. But there's a different picture being used here. And I think when we understand this, it opens our eyes to some of the depth and beauty of this psalm. 
Because what you see is that this psalm in using this language doesn't just look forward, but it looks back. Because this is not the only place in the Bible where it describes total darkness being around the Lord. As a matter of fact, there's some very important, powerful, and exciting places where we see this same language. Let me tell you about a couple. The first one we see is in Genesis 15. Now, if you're familiar with Genesis 15, you may remember that in Genesis 15 is where God reaffirms his covenant with Abraham. So in Genesis 12, he's called Abraham out of Ur. And he comes up and in Genesis 15, he comes back and he says, I will make you a great nation. Your descendants will number like the stars in the heavens. And all the nations on the earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham says, well, God, how am I to know that this is to happen? I don't, I don't have a child. You're saying I'm going to have a child. And God says it'll happen. And Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is an important verse. The Apostle Paul camps out on that verse in Romans chapter 4. But notice what it says in Genesis 15, 12. So Abraham has come and God, let me, let me back up because I jumped ahead of myself. So God says, here's what you need to do, Abraham. You need to go get some calves, some doves, and all these rams, and you're going to cut them in half, and then you're just going to stand there. And that sounds so strange to us. But this was actually a, a thing they would do in the ancient Near East to signify a covenant. They would do this, and the party that was making the covenant would say, I'm doing this, and it's symbolizing that if I don't keep my side, this is what will happen to me. And he's sitting there, and in Genesis 15, 12, it says, As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. And we go on to read that God came down and was in the form of this, the, the picture there is of this smoking pot that is moving but through. God is there, and it's this covenant that God has made with his people. But that's not the only place. We also see it when we get to the book of Exodus. God has rescued his people out of slavery, miraculously brought them out of bondage, split the Red Sea. They've walked through it. He's overcome the Egyptians and they come to Mount Sinai. They have to prepare for three days because they're going to meet with God. He is going to come down. And when God comes down on the mountain, Moses describes it this way in Exodus 20 verse 22. Sorry, verse 21. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. There's one other place. In 1 Kings 8, Solomon has finished the temple. He's dedicated the temple. And the Spirit of God has come down and rested once the priest backed out. God's Spirit has come down. And this is what it says in 1 Kings 8. When the priests come out of the holy place, the cloud filled the Lord's temple. And because of the cloud, the priests were not able to continue ministering for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then Solomon said, the Lord said he would dwell in total darkness. So what we're not looking at here is saying that there's something evil or wrong with God. God's glory is so great, it overwhelms our senses and we go into complete darkness. So why would he then be using this in Psalm 97? 
I think part of what we're doing is the inspired psalm writer is looking back and seeing these places because this psalm is not just about a distant king. This song is not about someone who might be king. This is king over the entire earth and he's not out there. He's coming down here. He's looking for the day when the righteous king, the one who is sovereign over all, isn't going to be out in the distance, but it's going to be walking the ground with us. And when he comes, it will be a glorious and terrifying and powerful and wonderful thing. And as the inspired author looks back, he sees God has visited before. And these times there's this language that's there. But when God comes this time, It won't be like when he rescued his people out of Egypt and fire went out and just destroyed the Egyptians in Exodus 14. The fire will destroy all of God's enemies. And when he comes, it will not just be Israel who will see him. But as we see in verses 4 and 6 of Psalm 97, the entire world will see him. And when he comes, he will not merely step foot on one mountain, but he will cause the mountains to melt before him like wax because of his presence. The very mountains that are symbols of strength will bow in worship to the rightful king of the entire earth. And when the king comes people will respond. People will respond when the king comes. There's really two ways that we see people will responding according to this psalm. Look with me again in verse 7. All who serve carved images, those who boast in idols, will be put to shame. All the gods must worship him. So the first we see is those who've trusted in idols. Now, so just as we saw an allusion to Mount Sinai in the reference to darkness, I think we see it again here in that giving of God's law in the reference to carved images. Now, when we think of idols, Pastor Dave talked about this, I believe, is last week and the week before because there's multiple uh, references to idols in these psalms. When we think about idols, a lot of times the first thing we go to are those carved statues of false gods. I remember the first time that I took a mission trip to Malaysia and I walked to this cave system. As I walked up, there were 272 steps that went up into a cave. And 140 feet tall was a gold statue of Muragon. And every year there was a festival where people will literally take hooks and go through the flesh of their back in multiple places and attach weights to that and crawl up on those steps on their hands and knees in hopes that Muragon might pick them out of the crowd and might do something for them. We think about false gods, but as Pastor Dave also pointed out, Anything we trust in or hope in besides God is an idol. Our success, our money, our reputation, our families, whatever it might be, the good, even the good things God could give us could turn into something that we look to for our satisfaction and our hope and our rescue. But I think another thing that we have to also keep in mind is that in this allusion, even to the Ten Commandments, when we look at the Second Commandment, God says in the First Commandment, don't have any other gods before me. Second Commandment, don't make any carved images. 
And I don't think what God's doing there is just repeating himself. I think what he's also saying is, don't worship the idols and don't try to make me in your image. Don't try to bring me down. You can't bring me down. There's nothing that can represent me. And so when we try to take God and we try to make him in our image, or we twist him to do to fit our own desires, and yet try to cloak it still in the language of following after God and doing his bidding and being one of his children, but then twisting him and using him to approve those things that are against him, we have now created God in our own image, not as he has revealed himself. And the thing is, all of these will be put to shame. These gods cannot save us. They cannot keep their promises. And these gods will be like the statue of Dagon, the god of the Philistines, who fell down in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. So they had to stand him back up. And they woke up the next morning and he had fallen down again. And his head was off and his hands were off. Why? Because Dagon's not a god. And right here, we see in verse 7, it says, all the gods must worship him. The psalmist didn't say, and they're actually gods. They're pointing out to the fact that you're hoping in something that is going to fall flat on its face before the king of the universe. But it's not the only response. That response is for those who've not trusted in the Lord. But those who have trusted in the Lord, what are they going to do? They're going to break into rejoicing and they're going to break into gladness. Why? Because God can save. God will keep his promises. He brings justice where it has been distorted. He brings righteousness where it has been corrupted. He brings peace where there has been hostility. He brings comfort where there has been pain. And he brings unity where there has been strife. For those who have trusted the king, the psalmist wants us to know and to anticipate eagerly his coming. But not just that. The psalmist is writing and he's looking for the king to come. He's telling us the king is coming. The sovereign of the universe will step foot on this planet. And he's not here yet. But when he does get here and while we're waiting on him, this is how we respond. What do we see? Starting in verse 10. You who love the Lord hate evil. If we're going to really hate evil, we have to start and continually hate the evil that's inside of us. Because here's the thing. The evil that is inside of us is so insidious that it will cloak itself That as we start to fight against the evil out there, it provokes within us pride, self-righteousness. And if we're going to hate evil, we've got to start inside. What does Jesus say? It is out of the heart all of these things come. And so God is saying hate evil. He's not saying hate people. He's not saying anything other than don't love evil. Despise it. But not only that, we're to hope. We're to hope in faith. Look at what it says in verse 10. He protects the lives of his faithful ones. There's times when we know we need protecting, and there's times we feel like maybe we aren't protected. He's calling us to hope. God is faithful. He will rescue. We are to walk in righteousness. Notice in verse 11, light dawns for the righteous. It shines forth that we can walk in it. 
And then again, we are to rejoice because God will come. You know, I think this is a fantastic psalm for us to meditate upon the week after Easter. Because if I were y'all right now, and some of y'all are probably this way, I'd be like, talk about Jesus. He's the king who came. Talk about Jesus. And I purposely have it just yet. Because I wanted, for some of you that feel that, I wanted you to feel that on the inside. That just kind of like, this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. This is, and I wanted us to feel the longing of talking about Jesus. So we think about the longing of the coming of Jesus. Because Jesus has come, but he is coming again. And so the hope of Easter didn't stop just on the morning of the resurrection. The hope of Easter is we have a risen king who has ascended and will descend. And so we want to rejoice in the resurrection. And we want to live in anticipation because the king is coming. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham. And we broke our part of the covenant. And when we should have been the ones who have been torn apart like those sacrifices were, Jesus' flesh was rent for us so that we could still be partakers of the covenant. Jesus, God in the flesh, stepping onto the earth. Not just God speaking from the flyer, but the word himself coming, standing, walking with us and showing us, living the word of God amongst us. Jesus, God with us, himself the true temple. We could see, John says, we saw him and touched him with our hands. This is Jesus And Jesus who told us that the kingdom of God is at hand and began setting right the things that will come. And when he returns, he will bring it to completion. The inbreaking of the kingdom where Satan was vanquished and disease was put under and forgiveness of sin was proclaimed. We are now those who get to hold high that hope and call others to know there's a king who is coming. And he has begun to set things right. And one day he will be here and it will all be set right. And that will be the rejoicing day. So until he comes, let's walk as a psalmist encourages. us. Let's share the hope of Jesus over idols. Some of you may be here tonight even. You are trusting in things that you have made up in your mind or things you have seen or lies you've been told and you're trusting that to make things okay. And maybe you're all right to come to church and do all the stuff, but you've never trusted the fact that Jesus is the sovereign king of the universe and he died in your place bore the wrath of God for you, but then got up from the grave showing he had defeated everything that stood against you. And now he offers you life and hope. And this king who began to inaugurate the kingdom is the king who will bring it to completion. And he stands with his arms open and calls you to turn. Turn from the worthless things that will give you no hope and turn to him and have life and rejoicing forever. We need to hate the evil. We need to hope in faith. We need to walk in righteousness. And my friends, we of all people are the ones who can rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We are grateful that you, that you're coming back. 
Father, I, I confess my own heart so many times. I, I don't think about your return. I don't long for your return. But Lord, may we with this psalmist look forward and see the day when you will come back and you will dry every tear and you will make every wrong right. And the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters of the sea. Would you come quickly, Lord Jesus? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.